Hi, I am Tingan, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. Welcome to Season 2, where we interview dads who are technology company leaders based in Southeast Asia. After hearing from moms in Season 1, now it's time to speak to dads who are raising kids while striving in their careers. Let's find out the stories, challenges, and advice they have for us. In this episode, we speak to Zi Sing, Senior Product Manager at PayPal. Born and bred in Singapore, Zi Sing enjoys using technology to solve problems. He loves and lives to eat, but hates to queue, leading him to co-found Epic Technologies while in university. Epic Technologies was acquired by Chope in 2014, and since then, Zi Sing has worked in product management leadership roles. In his free time, Zi Sing and his wife scouts for food horns across Singapore. He's a father of a three-year-old son, Arthur. Hey, Tuzing, welcome to the Parents in Tech podcast. So excited to have you on here today. And to begin with, could you tell us a bit more about your family? Yeah, hi, Tinan. Thanks for having me. So I'm married to my beautiful wife for five years now. I have a three-year-old boy. His name is Arthur. He goes to school now, so that's when I have some time to get some work done. Get some work done, enjoy this podcast. Okay, <laughs> so to say, how did you meet your wife? We actually met through a mutual friend when I was studying in university. She loves to eat too, and that's my hobby. <laughs> and I thought like, oh, so we hung out a few times together with my mutual friend, went to like go JB and have dinner, supper kind together. And after that, we kind of got along. I remember our first date being, I brought her to actually watch 1FC. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Is that the fight? The event? fighting okay. championship. Okay. Yeah. So not a typical like movie date kind. But <laughs> I had tickets at that time. I was supposed to go with a friend. And then my friend said, You want to ask a girl along? Yeah, yeah, you can have my ticket. Uh. <laughs> wow, that's very nice. Okay, so both of you share this common passion for food. Tell me some of the food stories, the food journeys that both of you have embarked on together. Wow. So I think we go around looking for places. We do some research on what would be the best of a certain dish of food. Like, so it could be like, I don't know, bar chow it could be chak kway teow, it could be steak, it could be Japanese. And then we just go around exploring what would be good places to have something like that, whether it's Singapore or overseas. I actually remember once my wife telling me that going overseas with me is just all about eating. We go from place <laughs> to place. The only rest time you get in between is the commute. <laughs> Nice. So coming back, you got married to your beautiful wife five years ago. When did children come into the picture? <laughs> so the truth is that we didn't actually plan to have one yet. Mm. We knew that we always wanted to have a kid. And we also know that the earlier, the better in the sense, because you have more energy to deal with the kid and can have more fun. And then also... At a later stage, when the kids are older and more independent, then we can have our lives back to ourselves. So we kind of had that idea in mind. But the truth is, Arthur wasn't exactly planned. And now we know, so we'll plan better for the next one. (laughs) Okay, okay. So I was going to ask you that. So you said that there will be a next one. How many? And what was the conversation like? Was it something that you and your wife were agreeable to? Like both of you wanted the same number? Yeah, I think so. We were thinking that we will stop at two. And the reason for that is because I think dealing with one, while it's enjoyable, it is quite tiring. And we are pretty lazy, so we want to quite a bit of time for ourselves. So we thought, okay, two seems like a good number. 
And also my son sleeps in a room of his own right now. And mm. we are quite particular about sleep training and kids having his own room to sleep. So then you kind of get limited by how big your house is, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay, so now that Arthur is three years old, what's the thinking or the plans for child number two? So we actually just moved house recently. Like I moved about two months ago. Moved to a bigger place, nearer to my in-laws. So making all the right moves <laughs> in preparation for kid number two. But that said, we don't really have a time. It's not as if like it's a goal to say, mm. let's have a kid by end of this year or end of next year. So we are just taking it easy. And because we just moved, we thought, okay, maybe let's just get used to the new place a bit chill for a little while before we actually make any concrete plans to go ahead. That's nice. Okay. So earlier, Tuseng, you also mentioned that you are quite big on sleep training. Perhaps the parents who are new to this, what is sleep training and why sleep training? The why sleep training is quite straightforward for me because once the child sleeps better, then we have more time for ourselves. And it's also more resting time so that the next day we can engage the kid better. Because if we are tired ourselves, I feel like I can't engage fully with my kid. And then sometimes maybe my temper gets a bit short and it becomes this vicious cycle of bad experience for both myself and the child, which is not exactly what I want. So that covers the why. As for the what, to be honest, I'm not actually the pro here. My wife is really good at it. Like she takes notes every morning wow. is calculated on a daily basis of what the nap time should be and therefore what the night bedtime should be because we have a baby monitor as well so she reviews this baby monitor every morning to see like oh did he sleep well the night before how many times did he roll around was there any wake time in the middle of the night because one thing about arthur is that he is even when he wakes up in the middle of the night he doesn't mm. call for us he doesn't wake us up so we do get that peaceful sleep all the way, which I really appreciate both Arthur doing that for us and my wife calculating his sleep time. Got it. Wow. So it's really interesting. It's almost like your wife is doing this sleep research study, analyzing and how much time does she spend each day doing that? Because I can imagine it does take effort and time. I think she spent quite a bit of time in the beginning researching, understanding, reading up on it. I think it becomes quite second nature to her. So when she wakes up in the morning, maybe she spends the first 15 minutes or so just reviewing the videos from last night, determining what the nap time should be. After Arthur wakes up from his afternoon nap, then also review that. And because the afternoon nap is only about two hours or so, so it becomes quite easy to review at like 8x. Then maybe take about five minutes there to decide what the night time would be. I remember like one of the bigger challenges being like what the total wake time should be. So the total wake time is just how long of a period the kid should be awake for the entire day, right? And that changes depending on sometimes the kid has grown older or what. So that time like increases. So sometimes what is overtired, what is undertired is something that we spend a bit more time discussing. But I'm not the pro. Like, yeah. Got it. So you play the supporting role in that. Yeah, she tells me tonight goes to bed at this time. Like start preparing at this time, go to bed at this time. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you execute it. Nice. Okay. Now maybe I'm going to shift gears a bit to what you do professionally. You built your career. You built a company first and you sold it to Chope. That's incredible. Can you tell us a bit more about what the company was, what the journey was like in a nutshell? In my final year in university, I started a company with two other friends. And it's the same mentality of let's do it earlier than later. Because I know that startup life may not have a proper salary and all that, right? So while I don't feel that pain yet because I'm not paid 
in university, let's try it earlier, right? So we were in the business of like queuing. Me and my co-founders, we all like to eat and we see like long queues at restaurants, but yet people can't do much about it. And yep. We thought, okay, let's try and solve that problem for them. So we built this system where people can self-service join queues at restaurants. And then the restaurant, on the other hand, has a separate system where they can monitor the queues and automatically call people when it's their turn. So fast forward about two years, we were going through fundraising at the time. And we were lucky enough to have a few offers on the table and we found Chope. And when we spoke to Chope, it was a good combination. It was strategic in the sense like they are in the business of restaurants, we're in the business of restaurants too. The leadership team on Chope were nice people to work with and we thought like, okay, we could get along. It was a young culture and everyone wanted to solve problems or solve the food problem. And we thought that was a really good fit, which is why we joined them on that journey. It's nice to work with people who have the same interest, passion about wanting to solve the same type of problems. And the acquisition was good too, because I'm grateful to now be able to have a proper salary. I've been living off my wife for the longest time. (laughs) And we also do good to our restaurants that we had back then. Now they are part of a bigger ecosystem where there are more services that are relevant to help them in running their operations. Wow, it sounds like so much of your life how you got started in your career, how you got started in your family is around food. <laughs> and that's so interesting and fascinating. So to say, going through that journey, that was something I was going to ask also. Being a founder to being an employee, what was that transition like? Was it challenging? So actually not for me. The time that shift happened was when we joined Choked. But I think we were given a lot of freedom. We are empowered a lot. I joined as the second product manager on the Choke team. And the first product manager then became the CTO. So I was the only product manager back then. And that gave me a lot of room to define where the product should head towards, at least have inputs on where the business should head towards from the product point of view. So I didn't feel a big part of becoming an employee. To me, becoming an employee has a lot more feeling around like being constrained. There are things that you want to do but can't. And I felt none of that at Choke. After Choke, by then, because at Choke, we scaled the company bigger. I think when I joined, it was 30, 40 people. When I left, it was about 200 across the entire organization. So there will be a bit more of such, I guess, corporate processes in place. And that got me ready for my next journey at GovTech, which when I joined, I also particularly joined this small team where I think I would have more freedom to define what I'm able to do. Interesting. And so next time when Arthur grows up and he thinks about what to do with his life, what kind of advice would you give to him given that you've gone through this exciting journey of starting your own thing, selling it, and then joining and then leading a team, seeing things from small to scale up? I think the biggest one would be doing something that you love or like. Mm. It sounds very cliche, but also is what I truly believe in. And even how we bring him up today, I feel like we give him a lot of choice. What I maybe internally sometimes struggle with is whether I should be giving him that much freedom. But then I think it's better to take some of this risk earlier than later because you have so much lesser to lose and anything that can be reversed is a good you can go down a way and if you realize that it's wrong, okay, you can turn back and you can try again. And early stage, you have a lot of freedom or you have a lot of, you have a really long runway to make some of these mistakes. Yeah. You mentioned about giving him freedom. Tell me a bit more about how that looks like, because I'm sure you also have friends who are parents, so you will know like how it's different. Tell me an example. 
Yeah, so like I think I don't know, eating being one of them. <laughs> if he says that he's full, then okay lah. Then you are full, and we won't force you to eat more. And there are times when maybe he has eaten a too little, right? Like we know that it's too little, and maybe he doesn't like the food, but he just says that he's done. I think we respect that, and we just say okay. If you are hungry later, you will eat more. If you don't eat so much for lunch, then maybe you get hungry during dinner and eat more for dinner. And I think overall that's fine. I think the other one is dressing up. <laughs> okay, and that is where my wife and I don't agree with that much. And it's not so much about disagreeing about giving him the choice to dress it up, but sometimes I just let him choose what he wants to wear. He picks, he picks okay. up his clothes himself. And they do look a bit odd. The combination <laughs> looks a bit odd at times. But I think okay, it is his choice. We may sometimes say, "Oh, do you want to pair it with this other T-shirt instead?" And if he says no, we're like, "Okay, it's your choice. Go for it." And that's <laughs> where I think I don't know whether too much freedom is always a good thing. <laughs> Maybe it, it impedes his creativity or eye for aesthetical dress sense or something. <laughs> I think that's nice, right? Letting him pick the small things that even if it doesn't look what's, I guess, conventional, letting him have the freedom. And you said that there was the differences between you and your wife. I guess clothes is one thing, but if I can zoom out to a bit more philosophically, parenting styles. Tell me about what was different between you and your wife along this parenting journey. Actually, I don't think there were a lot. Philosophically, I think we both know that we are new to this, and so we are just learning together. So we don't actually disagree on a lot of things. We agree to say, "Let's try something out," and mm. if it doesn't work, we will change it. I don't think we have fundamental differences in like principles of how we should bring up the kid. We are both like, "Okay, let's give this one way a try," and if that doesn't work, okay, we will reverse and try another method. You're lucky <laughs> to have that similarity, but maybe give me an example. Tell me a story or something that you and your wife tried doesn't work, and you had to change. So I'm a believer of running experiments, and from your product manager to your dad self, right? Yeah, so both in terms of product at work and my product at home, <laughs> which is my son. So I think in the very early stages, it was a small thing. When it comes to feeding, I remember day three when Arthur was about three or four days old. The nurses at the hospital say that okay, don't go for bottle feeding because there will be nipple confusion and all that. And we mm. were like, okay. The nurses recommended cup feeding, and cup feeding is I think really difficult for first timers. <laughs> What angle you hold a cup, and then how much force are you holding the child? All of these differences, and I thought, yeah. okay. And after that, three days old was having some difficulty drinking his milk from a cup. I was like, okay, let's try. What are the different ways to feed a three-day-old right, an infant? I went to buy a whole bunch of different things, ranging from actual proper things like there's this spoon with a bottle behind that you can like yep. like adjust, yeah. And then I tried the normal metal spoon, but you have to pour it from your bottle while holding onto the kid, and then you don't know how much to pour, you don't want to waste the milk. <laughs> the funny thing was that I was at this provision shop nearby and I was just looking for feeding cups and they didn't have any. I ended up buying, you know, those little red cups that you use for worshipping. <laughs> <laughs> and I gave that a try just to see which one is the best. So that was one experiment that I ran and what I really like is the feedback loop is like so short. If it works, you know, immediately that it works and like, okay, let's double down on this method, buy more yeah. of such cups or something. And if it doesn't work, we just go ahead and try the other one. Yeah, so that was one of my most, I guess, memorable experiments that I run as a first-time parent. 
Wow, at three days old. At the point, you're tired. You probably don't know what's going on. So you pick whatever you can, which is uh, those, those red cups. <laughs> nice. Okay. Now, to see, you also earlier mentioned that for you and your wife, you recognize that you are new to this. You are learning. So where do you and your wife learn parenting from? Ah, well, that's a good question, actually. I think we learn from friends. We have mm. friends who have kids earlier than us, so we have some learnings from there. We learn from parents. Mm. Arthur is being taken care of mostly by my mother-in-law or my in-laws. Yep. I think I learn a lot of how to take care of a kid from her. So my wife has two other siblings. So I said, okay, you have raised three. They seem to be doing fine. So you're, you're likely doing something right. <laughs> I know yep. nothing. I'll learn from there. And I think I've also learned a lot from books. Mm. I do like to read. And I think parenting books are actually one of the quite interesting books for me, mainly because after I pick up that knowledge, I can run the experiment, apply what I've learned immediately. So that is quite fulfilling for me. <laughs> you are a product manager, true, true. But I have to ask, what books are interesting? What books are memorable? So I remember No Drama Discipline. I think it was mainly for disciplining that I was more concerned about in the beginning. And because I do think that if we discipline in a wrong way, it can have very like lasting effects on a child, which is why I thought, okay, maybe there's something that's important to get right at the beginning, how to like, I don't know, avoid, there's still many around disciplining, but like how to guide your kid instead of forcing your values on them, understanding things from their point of view. I think one of my biggest takeaways was that, and a few books mentioned the same thing, they are ultimately still one-year-old, two-year-old, or three-year-old, they are really still young and you can't expect them. They don't have a lot of knowledge of this world. They don't, they don't have a lot of knowledge of how these things work. So just put yourself in the position of the kid, empathize with them. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah, okay. And so I'm. these are things that I still try and apply a lot. And every book, new book that I read, sometimes are quite similar in what they are trying to teach, which then serves as a good reminder to me about these other things that I should be doing more. Got it. And where do you find the time to read given your busy schedule? You have work, you're taking care of your family, you like to eat. So I go ahead for new eating places. So how do you find those pockets of time? So I do most of my reading at night before I sleep. After maybe a few pages, I get tired and I fall asleep, which is why like I take a long time to read a book. <laughs> but then Arthur sleeps at maybe about 7 to 8 p.m. every mm. night. So the time after that is time that me and my wife can spend together, although it's most, it has to be at home. So yeah, I think most of my reading time is done at night or when I go traveling, which was a long time ago, but I'll make sure to bring a book with me. We like to go to places where it's more relaxing, walking around and all that. Although you usually need to walk quite a bit for like the good food. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to walk a bit, then you have to get in a queue, and then you get your food. Okay, okay. So to say, I want to double click a bit into the discipline portion. What is your style of discipline, especially at this age where starting to be more aware, starting to, to expand in vocabulary and language, and I guess talking back. So what's your discipline approach? I think the two main things are trying to understand from him mm. his perspective getting him to agree, and then no beating. Right, okay. Yeah, admittedly, sometimes lose my cool a bit or what, but yep. I try not to do that. I think that is one of those things that I feel is harmful to the kid in a sense. I don't want to instill fear. I want mm. to hopefully inspire more. 
I actually do want them to see me as a friend who is helping them along the way, supporting right. them, then to say, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. I think there are boundaries that we have to set and that should be informed early. For example, if we were to explain what are the boundaries beforehand and then let him operate within those boundaries. Yeah. Well, can you give me an example of a time where maybe he did something wrong? How did you go about dealing with it? So I think he's at that age where, like I say, it's a bit more disagreeable. When he goes to the playground, for example, if he doesn't get his way, then sometimes he gets a bit more physical pushing mm. and all that. And the other one, it doesn't want to acknowledge when people are talking to him because he's still doing his thing. Maybe he doesn't want to be bothered. So he doesn't want to be disturbed. So I try to solve that from, I don't know, take a more fundamental or first principles approach to it. It's something that I'm trying to improve on myself too. What I told him is that the principle being, if you want someone to do something to you, do the same to that person. And the inverse is true, which is if you don't want someone to do something to you, don't do it to that person. And that as the base principle, when I apply it to the playground, it would be like, do you like it when people push you? You don't, right? So don't push other people. At home, do you like it when you ask us something, we do not reply you? And it's like, no. So therefore, if when we talk to you, it's only correct or courteous that you reply us as well. So I've been trying to operate on that first principles approach. That's the only one that I've came up with so far. So still trying to optimize on that. But I think it's a great one because I think a lot of times if we just go ahead and scold the children without really explaining what's wrong, they just feel negative about it, but they don't really learn and grow. But I like the part about almost forcing him to think and develop the sense of empathy, which of course, right, because they're still growing in many aspects, it's really about showing them which directions we want them to move. So I appreciate you sharing that, Susing. Now, what is the best part about being a dad? I think it's relieving my childhood, firstly. Oh, wow. Okay, tell me more. Yeah. So going to the zoo or going to Toys R Us, yeah. going to places where you get to experience it as a kid. I guess mm. because like the zoo doesn't have a lot of special or good food. We don't go to the zoo a lot. <laughs> but now there is a chance that when you go back and you're like, oh, actually this is a nice place. And I learn just by going back to the zoo again, right? Or like, I like looking at spiders and scorpions, uh, like weird habits, but <laughs> I enjoy trying out things, something that I don't usually do. And I think because I want to expose my child to various experiences, so I kind of go through the experience myself again. So I think that's the first one, reliving the childhood. I think the second one is watching him grow, watching how someone, or in the case of a startup, something that you have invested a lot of time and effort in and seeing how that growing up, but also kind of changing how or like impacting society in that sense. Maybe not so much for a child yet, mm. even though I do want to hopefully bring up Arthur to be someone who will be able to contribute back to society in a meaningful way. In the case of a startup, it's quite similar to a startup, right? In the case of a startup, it's like trying to solve a business problem or trying to help restaurants solve their operational problems better and seeing that, hey, actually it's working. That I think is a very fulfilling feeling as a parent. Absolutely. I think the idea that you're able to shape and mold a life and hopefully to be something that creates positive impact on society, the opportunity. And even though you're only three years into this journey with many more decades to go, I think it's part of the joys of being a parent. So tell me a bit more also about work-life balance and managing that. Because you work in tech, you work in product, there's always 
fires to put out. Now, my guess is you're probably working from home. So how do you manage all of that? Yeah, I think I've been quite fortunate to be in companies where we value work-life balance a lot. I think from an employee slash parent perspective, I want that balance because I obviously want to spend more time with my kid. From the employer perspective, having been on the other side before where I was having to manage or in a startup back then, I feel that from the employee standpoint, it's also seeing that in the longer term, this is more sustainable by giving your employees a bit more freedom and giving them the time for them to do what they want to do, whether is it something that they are passionate in or bringing up their kids. I think basically some loan time that is not doing work is meaningful for an employer. What I do see is, I guess, different employers have different constraints, possibly. So obviously, this long-term sustainability thing, it's the definition of a long-term, it's not the same for all kinds of companies. When you are in a smaller company, sometimes you have six months later, paycheck to worry about. Then you have to prioritize or you try and make your staff work more because that is what you are chasing. In other companies, like, like now that I'm in a global company, I'm at PayPal now, where you have colleagues that are at different time zones. And so it's no longer about after 7 p.m. I log off. It's a different timing in San Jose and we need to still communicate with them so that work gets done. In the case of Choke back then, restaurants, they are like dinner service. There's the busiest time, Friday dinner or like Saturday dinner. Those are when, if things happen, we need to be able to respond quickly. So I think work-life balance shouldn't come in terms of hours at work, clock in and clock out. It should come at just having the freedom to do what you need to do, but yet still getting the work done. Yeah, absolutely. It's about managing time and energy in a way that works, not necessarily saying, drawing the line very clearly that, okay, I'm going to start work at nine, I'm going to get off at five and that's it. So perhaps what's one or two things that has worked in terms of helping you to really draw the line and plug out when it's time to put it down and spend time with your family or even take time for yourself? Yeah, I think the difficult thing about this working from home right now is you are just a few steps away from your work desk. So when an email comes in or what, it becomes very tempting to go and deal with it compared to like in the office where, okay, it's time or I'm leaving my office now. Mentally, you have this switch off phase. It's not that you don't get any work done outside of work once you leave the office, but there is this very obvious physical transition, which I think is not so clear when it comes to working from home. Mm. But what has helped me a lot is I prioritize putting Arthur to bed every night. If a meeting comes, I try to block out that time of the day to make sure that, okay, I prepared him for bed, read him a story, and then I uh, put him to bed before I come back to work. I guess there are times when this is not possible, but I try to make that very, very exceptional. Got it. Yeah, I like that. About protecting and knowing when it's your special moment so that you can protect it and enjoy the time with your son. This has been a really fascinating conversation to sing. So if I had to ask you to sum up, what is one lesson you have learned as a parent in tech? What would that be? Experimentation. <laughs> I think even all the decisions that I make today when it comes to parenting, it may not be super clear whether it's the right one or how far that will go, right? So just having big, broad principles that are a correct direction in general, I guess, and then trying out smaller ways to test or make that 
process better. I think that has guided me a lot in the last three years at least. Nice. I love that. Well, if our parents want to connect with you to saying how can they best do so? They can reach me on LinkedIn or just through you. It's fine too. Got it. Well, thank you so much for taking time off and joining me today on the show. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Tinan. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech podcast with me, your host, Tingen. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback, or suggestion. Once again, the website is www. .parents.fm That's all for this episode folks. See you next time.